Amen. Well, ladies, you did a great job on that song tonight. <coughs> what a great song. What a great message. And appreciate that last one as well. All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> tonight, as we uh, look forward to communion, I wanted to spend just a few moments and address uh, that issue. <coughs> it seems often that this is a neglected area of speaking, I guess, communion. Um, we don't talk much about it. We may do it, but we don't talk a lot about it. And I want to share uh, just a couple of thoughts tonight with you concerning communion. All right. In chapter 11, beginning in verse 17... The Bible says, Now in this uh, that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. <clears throat> for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be, <clears throat> may be manifest among you. You come together, therefore, into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. But ye come not together into condemnation. And the rest will I set in order... When I come. As we open this particular portion of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is trying to restore order to the Corinthian church. They had become out of balance, they had gotten out of whack, so to speak. Their unscriptural emphasis and abuse concerning the gifts had bred a sense of pride and arrogance among the people. Paul now addresses the disorder associated with the church ordinance of communion. He begins by telling them that he's gotten word that there were divisions among them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we read in verse 18, 
It said, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, he says. Unfortunately, this was a common theme in the book of Corinthians. This element of disunity or this element of division. Take your Bible, look over the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. As we open up the book of Corinthians, we note in chapter 1, Now I beseech you, brethren, verse 10, by the mercy, uh, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Right off the bat, the Apostle Paul, as he opens up his letter to the Corinthians, expresses or acknowledges or makes clear that he has been made aware of the potential problem of division that exists in the local church. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, once again, he addresses the issue of division that existed in the church. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Again, the division is noted. Paul the Apostle recognized and and understood the division that existed, and he wrote to these Corinthians, bringing it to their attention and expressing his disdain and his concern. This division is noted again by the fact that they were taking one another to court in order to settle matters that should have been cleared up by themselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, We read, now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to the law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Now ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Now again, understand that they were taking one another to court. If there is anything that would describe division, it would be taking a brother or sister to court. God never intended that the people of God, that the house of God, that those that are the family of God should take one another to court to solve their problems. As a matter of fact, he goes as far as to say, be willing to be defrauded yourself. Be willing to come out on the short end of the stick. Be willing to come out at the bottom and not the top. But no matter what, do not sow seeds of division. Again, their division has manifested itself in the fact that they were selfish with their liberty regarding, or should I say disregarding, the weak and vulnerable. 
Again, we are aware that we are saved by grace. We understand very, very uh, notably and understandably that salvation is not have anything to do with us and our actions or our ability to obtain the favor of God. We know that salvation is by grace through faith and nothing else. We're also aware of what is called liberty and the opportunity to express ourselves and to live out our Christian life in a way that uh, is, is free from the bondage and enslavement of sin. But liberty is often misunderstood as license in many people's lives. And in this particular case, the Corinthian people were taking that license, or should I say liberty, to the level of license. They came to a point where they were starting to say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I can express myself as I choose. I can eat meat offered to idols, and I can do certain things that, well, in the past were wrong, but because we're no longer under the law, but we're in the New Testament under grace, I have this right, and I have this liberty, and I'll do as I please. Sadly enough, they did it to the very destruction of their own brethren. The Apostle Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9-13. through 13. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, and there is liberty in Christ, and may I say it as simply as I can, you have the liberty or the freedom to live for God. Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren... And wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Again, we have those that felt themselves to be very strong in the Lord. Those that felt grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, It doesn't bother me. I understand that the offering, that meat, was offered to an idol. And that idol is no God at all. I can eat that meat and it doesn't bother me one bit. It doesn't cause me to feel violated in any way. My conscience is perfectly clear and I don't in any way feel that I have slighted God or sinned against the Holy One. However, those young Christians, many of them coming out of idolatry, would view that more mature or Christian through age and say, boy, he's eating that sacrifice unto idols. Doesn't he realize that it's corrupted? Doesn't he understand that it's been perverted? And they look at him and they think, well, I guess it's okay. There's no problem with that. Or they possibly take that and say, well, it must be all right. Brother so-and-so's doing it. And when they eat it in their heart, their conscience, they are violated. Their conscience is affected. They feel dirty and sinful. And you know, to him, uh, to, uh, to, to doeth wrong, to, to, excuse me, my mind just went blank on that verse. Him that doeth good and knoweth not, wait. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
In his own mind, he's over here thinking it must be okay because he did it, but down deep he in his heart feels he is sinning against God, and he is because his conscience is violated. And secondly, he's also tempted to go back into that sin that he had left. Now, we've got to be careful. And the Apostle Paul's saying, I thought we were to be on the same team. I thought we were to be fighting together. I thought we are supposed to be of one mind headed in one direction for one purpose. And that's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet I note these divisions among you. Paul continues this thought by emphasizing a very basic but important biblical principle in 1 Corinthians 10.24. He says, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Wow. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. If only you or your friend could prosper... Who would if it was up to you? If only you or that person you're seated next to in the pew would prosper and you made the decision and the outcome was based on your decision, who would prosper? Who would be wealthy? Who would increase? The biblical principle is let no man seek his own but every man another's wealth. See, what we ultimately learn about division in the Bible and even in the church is that it is nothing more than selfishness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, the Apostle Paul says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Unity is only brought about when we have disregarded ourselves. If self is at the forefront, division will always rise to the top. After pointing out their glaring falls of division, he now gets a little more specific. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, once again, he says, For in eating... Everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. See, it was customary for those in the early church to have what were called love feasts. Love feasts were nothing more than a fellowship dinner before the communion would take place. The focus of the Lord's Supper is unity. It was cohesiveness and the bonds of love. However, the Corinthians had turned it into anything but that. They were celebrating this feast very selfishly. In one situation, there was a fellow that was so poor that he couldn't even bring a covered dish. He had nothing in the cupboard at home. And when he came together at the church, he had nothing to put on the table. He had nothing to eat let alone anything to share. On the other hand, this other fellow, he's there enjoying fried chicken, Jojo's, and hot apple pie. A feast in heaven. (laughs) 
Let's face it, division had infiltrated the church and it had established a very large stronghold among its members. There were even those who had turned this particular feast into an occasion to get drunk even. <clears throat> they couldn't celebrate the Lord's death like that. It was simply an abomination. And so Paul makes it clear that this is not what communion is all about. It isn't supposed to be a time of selfishness. But a time to express the unity that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's a number of things to the Christian, this communion. And tonight, I want to consider three things that communion is to us as believers. And so let's take just a few moments, we'll pray, and then we're going to move quickly through these three so that we can get to communion. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for this time together. We do love you and we need you. Help us, Lord, as a church to be unified. Father, to be one. One mind and one body heading in one direction with one purpose. Father, help us, Lord, to even tonight take of this communion worthily. God of heaven, we need you tonight. We're looking forward to you speaking to our hearts, encouraging us, revealing areas in our life that need re response, and then, Lord, addressing them that we may take of thy, com thy communion worthily. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so what is communion then to the believer? It's a time of examination. It's a time of examination. In verses 28 through 31 of our text, we notice that it says, But let a man examine himself, and let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. See, examination is a sensitive matter. It's a sensitive matter. In verse 28 again, he says, But let a man examine himself. I think that we can tonight uh, in the body of Christ and within the context of this local church say, Let a man, let a woman examine themselves. Let them look deep within themselves. Let them carefully examine, thoroughly view, and, and in very great detail dig into their heart and really see what's inside. Let a man examine himself. It's a very sensitive matter. But not only is examination a sensitive matter, one in which only you can view your heart, your life. I can't look at yours. I can't, I can't somehow examine your heart, your motive, your life. You have to examine yours. I examine mine. Very sensitive. But it's also, examination is a serious matter. Not only a sensitive matter, but a serious matter. In verse 29 through 30, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. It's a serious matter, because your life depends on it. I didn't say that. God did. 
Again, note the word here, sleep, in the context. He says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, yes. But he goes on to talk about the damnation. He says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, as we begin to speak about the return and the coming of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What's he saying? Is he implying that there will be some that will be in bed at that time and while they're sleeping? Then no, it has nothing to do with people that are physically sleeping. What he's referring to is believers. Believers that have died. A believer that dies is not dead. They're alive. And they're in Christ and with Christ. However, according to the Bible, they are asleep in the sense of their body. You'd walk past the casket, and there they are, asleep. Wake up. No movement whatsoever. Sound asleep. They're not dead. That's a mere body that's sleeping. They're alive and with the Lord. Hold on. In our passage now tonight, we know that the passage teaches us that because some take of communion unworthily, because they drink and they eat that unworthily, they eat and drink damnation to themselves. And ultimately, he says, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He says, many die. Many are no longer with us because they chose to take of communion unworthily. See, the Lord is serious about His holiness. See, there are some areas that He'll not tolerate flesh involved in any way. His table is sacred and it's to be viewed and treated as such. This is not a game we play on Sunday night following the service. This is not a time for you to let your children drink juice and eat bread. This isn't a time to say, well, little Junior will feel left out if he or she doesn't get one. This is a very serious matter. A very sacred matter. This is not for some little child that says, well, I I think I got saved when I was five. This is for somebody that's old enough to be a part of this church and to function as a member of this church. That can examine themselves. If they're not old enough to genuinely examine themselves, they're not old enough to take that right there. Just for the record, I don't believe any child would be held accountable for taking that. But I do believe mom and dad would. It may seem harsh as we consider this truth. 
But I want you to understand that in the past, we're given examples of how this operates and how it functioned. For instance, we see Uzzah and the Ark of God. David, of course, had decided to move the Ark of God to Jerusalem. He'd seen the many blessings in the household in which it resided, and he thought, I want that ark at my place. I want Jerusalem and our people to be blessed by it. So he, in turn, prepares a new cart and some oxen. And there they load the ark onto this new cart. As they're bringing it into Jerusalem, Uzzah and some others there, walking alongside, keeping an eye on it, The cart shakes, rattles, and all of a sudden tips, and here comes the ark. Uzzah does what any, any man of God would have done. He seeks to brace the ark, protecting it from harm. As he reaches up to hold it, to keep it from falling off the cart, his hand touches the ark. We have the account recorded in 2 Samuel 6, 6 and 7. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Uzzah was only trying to help. He's only doing what any... Red-blooded American man would do. He was just simply trying to protect the ark of God. And yet, he had touched the Holy One. You don't put flesh there. That's not where flesh belongs. And immediately, God said, I'll have none of it. And down he went. See, we need to approach communion with a healthy fear of God. It's not my goal to discourage anyone from taking it unless you shouldn't. But God's not playing with that right there. It may be a big game to us. and It may be a fun time and a little distraction from the norm. But God says, don't you put your hand to it unless you have cleansed your heart first. Not only do we see that examination is a sensitive matter, a a very serious matter, but really examination is a simple matter. I mean, there's nothing complicated about this command. Judge yourselves. And in so doing, avoid being judged. For if we would, verse 31, judge ourselves, we should not be judged. There's no reason for God to have to smite me if only I will examine myself and judge my motives and my heart. There's nothing to fear if we have obeyed God. So, number one, it's a time of examination. Number two, it's a time of exaltation. 
verses 23 through 26. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. A little side note. There's nowhere in Scripture that says how often or how much you should take communion. There's nothing there. It just says as oft as ye do. A person says, well, I wish we'd take it every week. Another one says, I wish we'd never take it. Well, I think you need to take it because as oft as you take it. There ought to be a time where a church comes together for that purpose of unity and remembrance. However, there's nothing that says how often we should or shouldn't do it. The pastor's not wrong if he doesn't want to have communion every week. He's not wrong if he doesn't want to do it every month. He's not wrong if he doesn't want to do it every six months. I think he ought to do it from time to time, but there's nothing in the Bible that says he has to. And by the way, I believe that the pastor ought to determine that. He is the under-shepherd. He is the under-shepherd. Just checking there. I thought maybe I was out speaking in another church somewhere, but it's a time of exaltation. It's a time when you remember yourself. I didn't say, I'm not saying remember yourself like, oh, what about me? No, you remember yourself. In verse 24 and 25, again, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. You are to remember some things. See, throughout the Bible, God continually encourages his people to remember some things. He does that to encourage them. To help them to realize and remember and recognize that no matter what comes about in life, He's there to meet the need. Just like He was there in your past, He'll be there in your present. And like He's been there in your past and present, He will be there in your future. Remember what God has done for you, He says. And in this particular case, communion is a time when you remember yourself. When you go back to that cross. When you go back to that broken body and that shed blood. When you go back to the day that you came to a cross and crawled helplessly and hopelessly to the feet of Jesus and begged His forgiveness and begged Him to save you and begged Him to give you eternal life. And the blood of Christ was applied to your sinful life. And your sin was washed away. You're to remember yourself. You're to see Him hanging on that tree. You're to see those nail-scarred hands and feet. You're to remember that spear in His side and the blood that was spilt and the body broken. Not only is it a time when you remember yourself, but it's a time when you remind others. He says in verse 26, you do shew the Lord's death till He come. You do shew or show the Lord's death till He come. 
When you take communion, you're showing the Lord's death. It's a picture of something. It's a reflection of a body and blood that was shed. The Lord's table reminds others of the selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon Calvary. It's a time of exaltation. And finally, it's a time of exhortation. Verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. Again, the whole book of Corinthians seems to be Paul trying to convince them that they need to cease from being so selfish and self-centered. That they're to put their attention or focus their attention on others and the Lord Jesus Christ, not themselves. And now he says to them, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. Wait on each other. See, we come together unified. We're one body. And nothing connects us like the Savior's sacrifice. Nothing does that like he, His sacrifice does. The Bible says we're in Christ. It means we're in one body. And when the Bible talks about the church in the New Testament, it's talking about local assemblies. Oh, I understand. People want to talk about universal church. And I don't know. We can call it the body of Christ. That's what the Bible calls it. There's no church that we meet with every Sunday that's universal yet. We meet together in local, independent assemblies. We gather together for the purpose of coming together to worship God together, to work on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, to go out and to reach a world with the Gospel. The church is visible We come together unified when we take that. Every one of us focused on the same person for the same reason, for the same result. To magnify, exalt, and to glorify Jesus Christ. We come together identified. Not just one body, but one mind again. Identifying with Christ, identifying with a body of truth. We became part of the family of God and part of the local church by being scripturally saved and ultimately scripturally baptized. We enter into this body because we agree on some doctrine. We've put our faith in Jesus alone, plus or minus nothing. A body of doctrine that we have embraced, that we have identified with. And when we take that communion, we are saying we are not only unified, but we are identifying with the fact that salvation is by grace through faith and that Christ alone saves us. And finally, we, become, we come together energized. One common goal, again, to glorify Christ in a spirit of gratitude We're excited and we are very serious about Jesus Christ. See, the Lord's table is a time of examination, exaltation, and exhortation. 
It's a time of reflection and introspect concerning self and our spiritual state. It's a time of remembrance and recognition concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The warning given to us tonight is, don't take it unworthily. Don't take it harboring known sin and rebellion in your heart. Don't take it with bitterness, envy, and strife bound within your being. Do not take it for any reason if you harbor a grudge against a brother in Christ tonight. Let it pass by you. We need to enter into this time seriously and sacredly. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for this time together. Lord, we do trust that it will have been profitable as we prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our beings to receive this wonderful supper, supper of remembrance, reflection, the supper, Father, where we glorify you as we share with others as well as ourselves this wonderful sacrifice, the broken body and the shed blood. Father, help us, Lord, to take it worthily and help us, Lord, to seriously and sacredly share as one body tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for what you will do in our hearts and lives. Before we close this prayer, I wonder if there's anyone in this place that does not even have Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know about Him. You've read about Him. But you yourself have yet to receive and accept Him as your Savior. You believe He died on the cross, was buried and rose again, but you have yet to accept and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. You can't say for sure, if I died, I'd go to heaven, preacher, because there's never been a day, a time, a place, when you personally recognized yourself as the sinner that He died for and the one that He came to give life to everlasting. I wonder if there's anyone in the crowd that would say, that's me, preacher. I need to settle that. I don't have it settled, and I need to settle that. I want Christ as my Savior tonight, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I need Him as my Lord, my Savior, because I have a real sin problem, and I need to deal with it tonight. We're all sinners, and only Christ can forgive our sin. Will you step out as the music begins to play and we all stand to our feet? Won't you step out right now as we stand to our feet, reflecting, remembering, preparing our hearts? Won't you come? I don't have it settled in my life. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. Won't you settle that? That's the first step. Communion, taking it, will never get you to heaven. That in and of itself is a waste of time if that's what you're depending on to get you there. Communion is nothing more than remembering what Christ has done for you. His broken body. His shed blood. And in gratitude, you take it, remembering those things, reinforcing once again your allegiance, your loyalty to Him. So won't you come? I don't have it settled. I don't know heaven is my home. I don't know Christ personally as my Savior. Come on, let's settle it. Child of God, are you preparing? Preparing. Remember, this is a time of self 
examination. Hey, beware, brother, sister in Christ. Beware that you don't look to your left or right, but that you look at self. It's not for you to decide. It's not for you to decide who will be a who's taking communion or not. You're only responsible for yourself tonight. Simply a time of self-examination. Tonight we're not in a hurry as we reflect in our own, concerning our own hearts, our own minds, as we prepare ourselves. Salvation is so simple for us, but it cost Him everything.
What a great time to reflect and to think and remember about the day you got saved. To prepare to take communion and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great time to remember that day. Be reminded of how you felt. How before the joy overwhelmed your soul, there was an ominous darkness that prevailed. And all of a sudden, the sun broke free through the clouds of despair. Where once was hopelessness, now hope. Emptiness, now satisfaction. Fulfilled. The void, no longer empty. 